0: Good morning, Story family, and if uh, you're tuning in online or at Timber Grove, uh, what just happened a split second before we went live is I dropped the word of God on the ground. Uh, So I'm just going to gently pick it up, okay? So uh, lightning doesn't strike me down, all right, while I I speak. My name is Eric. I'm the lead pastor here at The Story, and I want to welcome all of you here in the museum district in Houston here in our our new-ish still seven months in temporary home here in uh, the museum district, which we Love. And over at Timber Grove, I want to say hi to y'all at 8200 Washington Avenue in the Heights. We're so glad that y'all are with us today. You're part of the story as well. And uh, those who are joining us online, wherever you are in the world, thanks for tuning in and being a part of the stories community. Our mission as a community is to inspire non religious people or skeptical people or doubtful people, cynical people, especially about religion and preachers and church and people that have doubts about the Bible to inspire these people to follow Jesus, because we think that the best way to live your life is by following him. And it's not just about going to heaven one day, that's going to be awesome, but it's about how we live our lives today in the real world. Every single day, um, we think following Jesus is the best way to go. And so that's what we're here to do. If it's your first time here today. I'm really, really grateful that you spent part of your weekend with us um, I do hope that you'll take Kim's advice from the video and, and sign up um, in the lobby on your way out here in the museum district or at Timber Grove. Uh, and if you're online, visit the groups. The best things that happen at the story don't happen on Sunday morning. They happen from Monday through Saturday where we have things happening throughout the week in group settings and homes and here at the church where we're really making a difference in people's lives and falling in love with God together. Okay, so um, what we're doing today is talking about the power of the tongue. The power of the tongue. The power of words. The power of the words you speak and the words you hear. All right, so this is part three of a series of messages on this 1,980-year-old letter called the book of James in the New Testament. The title of the series is Less Talking, more walking. And uh, we're talking about vibrant faith instead of just dead religion. So this this is the perfect book to study if you're someone who is kicking the tires on Christianity. You're just not sure about Christians and the Bible and stuff. So this is the perfect place to begin. James is the half-brother of Jesus of Nazareth. So he grew up with Jesus. And even though he saw Jesus every day of his life, Jesus was literally his big brother. He did not believe He had doubts. And if you've ever had doubts about Jesus, listen, that's all right. There's good reasons to have doubts sometimes. And a lot of times Christians don't represent Jesus well anyway. So all you've ever heard or seen of Jesus was from Christians that got it wrong. So I could get it. And Jesus gets it. I mean, his own little brother didn't believe until Jesus and him had a meeting after, after Jesus' death and resurrection, in which point James became all in for Jesus and became a leader in the church. And uh, 1980 years ago, James wrote this letter that we now call a book, the book of James chapter 3. And in it, um, in this chapter, James talks about the power of words. Now, I want you to, to just like pause with me for a minute whether you're here or at home or at Timber Grove, and think with me, really, about the words that have shaped you. Think with me about the most powerful words you've ever heard. All right? So the most powerful, life-altering things someone's ever said to you. Now, I'm hoping most of you went someplace good in your minds, Most of you, I hope, went someplace positive because the power, the positive power of words is undeniable. Words really can shape us in some amazing ways for the better. Words spoken from a genuine place by someone who really loves us and someone we look up to can shape your whole life. Words like, I love you, or when your dad said he was proud of you, or... When someone you respect said, good job, or, you know, someone you want to spend the rest of your life with said, I do, these words can shape us. Just simple words like, I'm on your team, I'm with you, I've got your back, I've got this, you know, you're forgiven, I forgive you. These words are so incredibly powerful to shape our lives and help us to see who we really are when we look in the mirror. That's power. But power cuts both ways. We know this. Um, There's a a double-edged sword to power, and power can also go negative. And there were probably some of you who, when I asked you the most powerful thing someone ever said to you, the most impactful words ever spoken to you, you might have gone to a dark place, to something negative. Something someone said that cut you down, that dehumanized you, that shook you, dismantled you, destroyed you, and not just once, but it continues to destroy you to this day because that's also power. And we know that the power of words is a lot like the power of water. And one thing we know for sure in Houston about the power of water is that though it brings the possibility of life and cultivating life, water also can bring unimaginable death and destruction. We know this. It's been five years this month since Hurricane Harvey sent us underwater. And I see the triggered looks in your faces right now. Some of you are still coping with the pain and destruction brought on by the power of water. So it is with words. Words can bring life and they can bring death. Words can build up and words can destroy. And if you ever had someone you looked up to, someone whose opinion you cared about say something to you that destroyed you. Something like, I don't love you anymore. Um, what's wrong with you? Or why can't you be more like them? Or whoever that is, right? Why, why can't you be more like them? Um, you, you know, you're just not enough. You're ugly. You're fat. You're you're weak. You're too thin. Like whatever, whatever that is. Like someone has cut you down and you probably still bear the marks Of that wound, and it might even still be an open wound because we can be be affected. Our steps can be dictated and determined by the negative power of words someone spoke over us years ago. Isn't that wild? Isn't that just conceptually bananas? That someone could say something to you years ago and you could still be a slave to it today? Like it's not just preacher talk either, like science is backing this up, neuroscience is showing. like again and again, with every study they do, it's like, yeah, good words, bad words, like constructive words, destructive words, they actually change your brain. And they either like prop us up and give us confidence or they can destroy us and tear us down. For years, we can be slaves to the power of words. Isn't that amazing?? I, I think it's especially amazing given that these are just words. I mean, it's not like physical wounds. Like if someone attacked you physically and left you physically harmed for years and you carried the weight of that sort of grudge against them because you were broken in your body, that would make more sense. But something hidden in your soul, damaged by someone's words, it's harder to make sense of that, right? Especially when they taught us back in kindergarten, they taught us one of the first things we learned in kindergarten was sticks and stones break your bones, but words. Did y'all go to kindergarten? (laughs) Words will never hurt me. Words will never hurt me. Miss Debbie taught me that in kindergarten, and I will never forget Miss Debbie. Because after a year of teaching all 25 kindergartners in her classroom that works will never hurt you, Miss Debbie put us down for a nap on the third day before the end of the school year. And after setting us down on our little red and blue mats, she turned the lights out, walked out of that room and never came back. As it turned out, <laughs> we were the last class Miss Debbie ever taught because some of our parents weren't too fond of Miss Debbie. They told the principal, and the principal was kind of heavy-handed, and he said some not nice things to Miss Debbie, and his words hurt her, apparently. Miss Debbie, if you're listening, I hope you're okay, but you lied to us, all right? <laughs> because words clearly can hurt, and they hurt us all. They, bear, they, they, they present a threat to us all. We're all susceptible. All right. You don't have to be a kindergartner. Like if you if you, for example, uh, even if you think you're a grown man like me, like I I, I th- think of myself as someone's pretty mature. I can handle criticism, but once in the last six months or so, I played video games with my son and his friends. And if you've never had the privilege of playing Minecraft with a bunch of twelve-year-old boys, you don't know. The pain that words can bring, y'all, they called me all kinds of things. <laughs> they called me things I've never even thought about calling a person. They called me a bot, and then they, 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 they called me trash, and they laughed about it. And then they said to my son, Cohen, your dad is dog water. Dog. Water. (laughs) Who says that? (laughs) To a forty three year old man. You're dog water. All right. I'm still working through that with my therapist. That one cut me deep. All right. Dog water. The words we say bear real power to bring real destruction to people's lives. 12-year-old boys need to hear this today. They need to know this, (laughs) just how destructive our words can be, okay? And and the Bible is in total agreement with this. Words can create and words can destroy. Words can speak life into being, and words can take life and dismantle life. It's a, it's a powerful thing we have when we think about our words, our mouths, and our tongues. And so the question I want to ask today is how does that work? How can we use our tongues to create and not destroy? So James chapter 3 is the passage today, verses 1 through 12. You have Bibles in front of you, I think. If you want to use those, you're more than welcome to. Or if you want to click open to your Bible app, that's all right, too. Or um, you can just follow along with me on the screen. All right, so this is James chapter 3. Uh, James is a smaller book toward the back of the Bible after the longer book of Hebrews, if you're thumbing through there. Um, James chapter 3, He starts this way, it's kind of a weird way to start a new section of his letter, but he says, not many of you should become teachers, (laughs) which is not a nice thing, right? I think that's the first lesson of, of the word, like James, for someone who's calling people out on using their words in a negative way, he does a lot of that, it seems, but it's because truthful words are worth speaking even if they don't sound nice. It's not about being nice. It's about speaking truth, and truth is uh, what sets us free, right? So he says, not many of you should become teachers because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. This is a consistent theme in the Bible. Whoever teaches or preaches the word of God is going to be judged more strictly. Jesus said to the teachers, y'all have already received your reward. Every time somebody said to you, hey, great sermon today, that was basically as good as it's going to get for us. Like I don't like this part of the Bible, but it's there. Y'all are going to get mansions in heaven. I'm going to be the homeless guy outside in heaven with all my, you know, memories of hey, all those accolades I got and pats on the back after sermons <laughs> <laughs> sometimes. But but teachers have to be very humble and very careful about how we conduct ourselves. Um we all stumble, he says, in many ways. Now listen, this is this is where it gets tricky for us all. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect. Anyone who's never at fault in what they say. So it's not just about what you do, it's what you say that brings holiness or perfection. Able to keep their whole body in check. If you can control what you say, you can control your whole life, he's saying. Now he's gonna get into some metaphors. So he says, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. Even though they're so large and are driven by strong winds, they're steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest, this is the third metaphor, a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body sets the whole course of one's life on fire and itself set on fire is itself set on fire by hell. So you can can be holy, you can reach a state of holiness by speaking holy things, or you can reach a state of damnation by speaking damnable things. It's the power of words. And then he goes on, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. This is a reference back to Genesis 1 and 2 where God made man in his image and then set them over creation to tame creation. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. So in the first half of this passage, James lifts up three metaphors. He talks about a horse, a ship, and a fire. I want to just briefly explain what he might be getting at there. By lifting up these three metaphors. First, we have this horse. It is a wild horse, an untamed, unbroken horse. Now, we've romanticized the idea of wild horses. We've got songs about wild horses. We think about wild horses as free. That is not how James um, imagined wild horses to be, and I'm not sure it is how we should either because wild horses really aren't free they're still slaves to their impulses appetites needs etc like the rest of us are and so james is saying that until we learn to bridle our tongue we are like a wild horse that is essentially insecure A problem with a wild horse is that it is insecure and fearful. And if you've ever been around a wild horse, or God forbid if you've ever tried to ride one, you know exactly how skittish and destructive a wild horse can be. These are not small creatures, okay? So a large, wild animal, unbridled, without a bit in its mouth, without a a rancher or a guide to uh, tame it, Uh, can be incredibly violent and destructive. James is saying that until we get our words under control, we are like that horse. And out of our fear and our insecurity, we can do damage by speaking impulsively, by speaking wildly. We lash out at people that we love when we are wild in our speech we gossip about people when we are wild, uh, when we are wild in our speech we slander people when we are uh, untamed or unbroken by God in our speech we do things that destroy and bring darkness instead of light proverbs 12:3 says those who guard their lips preserve their lives but those who speak rashly will come to ruin speaking rashly is exactly what james is warning us against here speaking wildly and what's the answer to that kind of speech that kind of insecurity that leads us to speak rashly in ways that does that do harm well the answer is to let god the father break you and i really 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 hesitated to use that word because it sounds harsh It doesn't sound very good. It sounds oppressive to say you need to be broken by the Father. But hear me out. The truth is everyone's going to be broken by something. It is better to be broken by the truth than it is by lies. You can be broken by a Father who loves you like a rancher loves his horses. Or you can be broken by a world that breaks you with evil. You can be broken under the weight of your own impulses. You can be a slave to your own addictions, but but the answer here that James lifts up is to be broken by God who puts a simple bit in our mouths to guide us. And if we surrender our mouths, just our mouths, to this Good father, this good rancher who wants us to live for purpose like a rancher wants his horse to live for a purpose, the purpose it was created for. If we give our mouths to the father and surrender just that one part of us, then he can guide our whole lives. It's a mystery, really. Because we're not just saying give your behavior to the Father or give your acts or your will to the Father. We're saying, he's saying, James is saying, give your tongue, your mouth, your words to the Father, and by that he can guide your whole life. By guiding what you speak and how you say it. Wow. Genesis 1-3 explains this a little bit. God said, let there be light, and there was light. And Genesis one is jam-packed with verses like this, where God's just speaking, and then there's something there. God speaks, and something is. God speaks, and it is so. In Genesis one, and then God made you and me in God's own image, and set us over creation. For what purpose? To speak life. To speak life. To bring light, to speak in ways that he would have us to speak. Instead of speaking rashly, instead of speaking harshly or impulsively, instead of speaking words that destroy, to speak words that build up. And a horse with a bit in its mouth can be turned in any direction that its master desires. And if you let your God bridle your tongue, he will guide your whole life and turn your whole life Around, All right, that's the first metaphor. The second is a ship that is rudderless. <clears throat> okay, so uh, we have a rudderless ship here that's just tossed on the sea. No direction, no destination, no true north. The problem with a ship like this, uh, if if we are to analogize our speech, our tongues, our words with this ship, it would be immaturity. How many of us speak with empty words, empty phrases, meaningless? Words, how many of us waste precious opportunities to speak life into a coworker, into a roommate, into a friend, into a child of ours or a spouse of ours? Every moment that God gives us in the presence of others is a chance to identify with our words the image of God that's in them. And we talk about the Astros. And we talk about, what's the NFL team in this town? I'm just kidding. We talk about... The Texans, I know. And we talk about things that just don't matter that much when we could be edifying, encouraging, uplifting to someone who's made in God's image and doesn't even know it. Your words have power, and if all you speak are empty words, meaningless words, you're like a ship with no rudder, tossed on the sea going wherever the wind will take it. And empty words are damnable according to the word of God. According to Jesus himself, who said in uh, the gospel of Matthew, chapter 12, verses 36 and 37, I don't like this at all. I'm just going to tell you, but this is what Jesus says. We got to listen up. He said, I tell you that anyone will, that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they've spoken. For by your words, you will be acquitted. And by your words, you will be condemned. do typed words count? That's what I want to know. Does this count? Because my case just got a lot weaker, if that is the case, all right? I feel like we're at a disadvantage in the internet age. Um, God knows every word we speak and how we say it. The the message is clear. I don't like it, but it's clear. It's like we're all going to be judged by what we say. Now, how does this work? I don't think it's a sort of economic system where you better have said more nice things than mean things. It's not like Santa Claus is waiting for us at the pearly gates. I think it's a little bit like what we talked about with your works and deeds last week. It's like the things you do are indicators of what's really in your heart. So that's how faith and works work together. But it's even more true with words. The words you speak flow out of your heart. And if you are rooted in your relationship with God, the words you speak will more likely be godly. Have you ever noticed how the farther you feel from God, or maybe the farther you are from God in your walk, maybe the less you pay attention to him or worship him, the easier it is to curse your fellow Houstonians in traffic or at work or online, the, the, the more um, distance that I feel between me and God, the easier it is just to say filthy things, to laugh at filthy jokes, to say vile things, you know, these kinds of empty things that don't really bring life but can even bring destruction We don't understand that just like with money or time, we have an economy of words, and every word we speak in the presence of a a person made in God's image, every word has the possibility, the potential to bring life. We waste these opportunities with empty words and phrases. That's why it matters so much what we say, that we not get in the habit of speaking carelessly. So what's the answer here? It is to let Jesus, if we are that ship, to let Jesus be the pilot, for the captain to give us a direction, a destination for Jesus to be our true north, the one we follow. That is the salvation we have from this immaturity that has us tossing on the waves to and fro. In the 1800s a man named Edward uh, Hopper led a church in the New York harbor. Um that was called uh, the the Church of Land and Sea, which is the coolest name for a church I've ever heard. (laughs) And it was like in the 1800s, the Church of Land and Sea. Edward Hopper was not a musician. He never wrote a song until 1871, when upon reflection and thinking about his congregation, which was made up almost entirely of sailors and fishermen who were relatively miserable, sort of depressing lot in those days. He wrote a hymn called Jesus, Savior, Pilot Me. And some of you who grew up in church know this song. I just thought I would offer you this first verse of this song as a prayer to pray when you feel distance from God, like you're being tossed on the the waves by the winds of the sea. Jesus, Savior, pilot me over life's tempestuous sea. Unknown waves before me roll, hiding rock and treacherous shoal, chart and compass come from thee. Jesus, Savior, pilot me. That charting compass line gets me every time. You are my direction, Lord. You are my map. You are my destination. You are my leader. Be my pilot. Be my guide. Be my captain, whatever it takes, Lord. And James says all it really takes, instead of thinking about giving Jesus your whole life all at once, James is like, just give him your tongue. Just give him your words. Just give him your mouth. And with your mouth and the words you speak, he can guide your whole life, the whole ship, by the power of your words alone. Again, that's a mysterious truth that isn't self-evident. But I think the more we reflect on it, the more sense it begins to make. All right. The third metaphor Jesus lifts up is that of a fire, in particular, a hell fire. (laughs) or a wildfire, he says that your tongue is like a spark that sparks a hellfire that destroys. It's uncontrolled, right? It destroys without any um, thought as to what it's destroying. So if the wild horse's problem was insecurity and the rudderless of the ship's issue was immaturity, it is iniquity that sparks the fire. Sin unresolved sin, sin you haven't owned up to, sin you haven't confessed, sin you haven't repented for, just continuing patterns of sin that are indicative of an inconsistency between what you claim to believe and how you're really living. And that kind of a disconnected, divided life will lead you to a pretty dark place where you begin to say dark things, speaking carelessly and crassly The more unresolved sin that there is in my life, I find the less that I pray. And the less that I pray, the more that I curse. The less time I spend with God, the more time I spend in waste. The less I surrender to God, the more I slander my neighbor. Y'all know the drill. You know how it goes. That divided, inconsistent life can only be carried on for so long before it all falls apart. So what is the answer to the wildfire in our mouths if the solution for the wild horse is to let the Father um, discipline and break you? If if the solution for the rudderless ship is to let Jesus captain you or pilot you, then the solution for this wildfire is to let the, the Holy Spirit's fire anoint you anoint you, the Holy Spirit, the forgotten member of the divine trio, the Holy Ghost, as some call it. You know, um, it is interesting to me that James refers to the problem of the tongue as a fire that is a hell Fire, because James would have known very well what happened at the birthday of the church called Pentecost, which is written about in Acts chapter 2, where the Holy Spirit of God descended on the believers in the form of tongues of fire. Holy fire, the opposite of hellfire descended upon these sinners who were no better than you and me and didn't just put out the fires of hell that were raging within them, but set them aflame with a new fire and gave them tongues with which to speak and to um, illustrate the glory of God so when we named this series, I almost wish we hadn't gone with this title in particular, but, but I know why we did. James is like, be very careful with your life, with your words, but we called it less talking, more walking. That doesn't mean to live a holy life and to speak in holy ways is to, to necessarily say yes. I mean, to say, to, say, to say less. Now, I would say that for me, yes, that is the answer. I do probably need to say less. Pastor Gio can tell you all about that. But what it really means for all of us is that we need to say more truth. The truth that comes with the Holy Spirit's anointing. And the truth that glorifies God and magnifies him. And that's really the, the question for us today is, The things we choose to say to people that God puts in our path, do they glorify God? Do those words magnify Him and make Him known? Are we speaking from a place of anointing by the Holy Spirit? Have we even taken the time to receive the Holy Spirit, to say, Lord, pour your Spirit into my heart so that my words might be an overflowing of that Spirit within me? Or are we just religious? Hmm. Consistency is what James is calling us to in this passage. I will, I will be real honest with you all today. I woke up this morning hoping it wasn't really Sunday. This doesn't happen. I love Sundays. But I just woke up in a funk today. And I don't know why. Maybe I was tired or maybe I don't know what it was. I just didn't feel like coming to church. You ever feel that way? No, of course you don't. You wouldn't tell me that. Anyway, right, okay. So. <laughs> I get it. We're talking about speaking honestly today, people. you ever feel like that? All right, thank you, one person who's honest. Okay, so the truth is I didn't feel like coming. The truth is I thought today I'm just going to have to get through, fake it, something, I don't know. And then the first song played at 8.30, and I started to feel myself swaying. By the second song, I started to feel my hands lifting. By the third song, I'm like singing with all my heart because my brothers and sisters' voices, they're lifting their voices up around me and I'm, I'm suddenly being uplifted. And the more that I sing, the more uplifted I am. The more I lift up God's name with my words, the more my heart is genuinely lifted up. And so this, I think, is the distinction. This is where it it really, I think it becomes clear why words matter so much. It's not just because the words you speak are a byproduct of what's really in your heart. It's because James and the other believers knew that the words you speak can reverse engineer the holiness God is bringing about in you. And by speaking more holy words, your heart becomes more Holy. And through his anointing, like when the Holy Spirit was poured out on those first believers in the image of the form of tongues of fire, it was the fire that came from outside of them that consumed them. And then their hearts were changed when they spoke with the power of God's Spirit, it was was from the outside in. Sometimes that's how it works. Sometimes that's how God brings that consistency. That's the importance, by the way, of regular worship, of praying when you don't feel like it and praying when you do, worshiping when you're not feeling it and worshiping when you do. Just the same, you lift up his name, you say things that glorify him. Your words have power not just to affect change outside of you, but within you as well. Friends, how are you using the words God is giving you? How maybe be a better question than the first one I asked you about the most powerful words you've ever heard. What are the most powerful words you're ever going to speak? You are surrounded every day by family, friends, co-workers, roommates, associates, etc., who may not know just how precious they are to you or to God. And let's be real, part of the reason they may not know that is because of something you might have said to them in the past or something you've said to them at various times in the past. Some pattern of sin in your life has led you to beat others down around you with words. If that's the case, now is the time to repent. Do not let that sin continue to corrupt your heart. Repent of it now. Repent of it to God. Repent of it to the one you've hurt. And commit yourself to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God so much that His tongue becomes yours. A holy fire burns within you, spreading this light and life that God called you to cultivate. Would you pray with me? Lord, uh, we give you our words. We confess that we haven't always done that. And instead, out of insecurity and immaturity and iniquity, we have just blabbered in our sin. We've been guilty of corrupt talk and idle talk, destructive talk that has torn down instead of built up. Lord, with those uh, you put in our path, we want our words to be edifying, encouraging, constructive, Lord, and holy, just like you came to us and spoke words of life to us in Jesus. Just like Jesus said, it is finished. Sins are forgiven. This is my body. This is my blood. Just like Jesus said, come all who are weary and heavy laden. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Let me give you rest. Lord, just like Jesus spoke words of life to us when we did not deserve it, help us to speak words of life to the world around us. We're convicted about the ways we've wasted words or misused them. And we pray that your Holy Spirit will be poured out on your people right now, giving us new words, new tongues, giving us a new fire that spreads holiness and light and life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.